mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 as we continue here. If you'll remember with me, Jesus um, healed a leper last time we were here in Mark. Mark chapter 1 ending. And he was moved with compassion. And he warned him not to tell anybody. He said, go your way and and uh, see the priest. Um Offer your cleansing, those things which Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. He wanted it to be a witness and a testimony of the kingdom of God being upon them and in their presence, that they would see this leper uh, healed. And uh, the leper disobeyed. He went away and proclaimed it freely to everybody. So much so, uh, he spread the matter so much so that they came from... He couldn't stay in the city any longer. Uh, And he went outside to deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. And as we talked, I mean, he went back to where he was praying at. And I think it's very important that we remember to pray. um, And spend time in prayer. Not just for ourselves, but for others. Uh, That you're spending time in the word prayer and fellowship. So... He spent some time there. They're still coming to him. And I love this, that we're moving so quickly, but people are coming to Jesus from every direction. Would to God that that would be so today. Now in chapter 2, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiving you. And some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say uh, to the paralytic, uh, your sins are forgiven you or arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out of the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. 
Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And he passed by, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we can come boldly to your throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you that we can pray. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray for others. And that you freely allowed us to come. You bid us to come to you. And we pray, Lord, that souls would come to you and that hearts would repent. And we just give you praise here in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, chapter 2, verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Now, we don't know how many days, but remember he had to go away. He's becoming too popular. They want to, uh, John tells us that he, they tried to take him and make him king. Uh, they want him to be king, and so we don't know what the pressure was upon him. There's a lot of pressure, and he had to go away to deserted places, and people are still coming to him. And so he stays out for a while. And then he comes back to Capernaum after some days. We don't know how many. And pretty much he made Capernaum his home uh, uh, base where he stayed at. And many people argue whether he was uh, had a house there or it was his house or Peter's house. And so we don't know. And I don't think that it's important. I think the thing is, is that he's there. He's in the house. And with hospitality the way it was with the nation of Israel, and, and it should still be today, that he had a place to stay at this time. And it was heard that he was in the house. Notice that quickly people began to talk about Jesus. And I, and I would pray that we would talk about Jesus. That when Jesus is in somebody's house, is he in your house? Then talk about him. Is he living in your heart? Then talk about him. Is he part of your house and your family and the way you live? Then talk about him. Because it's Jesus is the name above all names. And by one day every knee will bow. And there's no other name by which men can be saved but by the name of Jesus. So he was in the house. Immediately, there's that word again. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. So the place is packed. They're not doing social distancing. They're packed in there. They're jammed in there because Jesus is in the house and because there's a lot of hopeless people and there's a lot of sickness. There's a lot of maladies and they don't even realize that he's there for their sin. But they want to know who this man is that's teaching them with authority. They want to see him. They've heard of him healing. They've heard he healed the leper. So they want to know what he's got to say. And they're looking for help. And I think, again, that today in the church, listen, listen, they were in an apostate system where the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ruling authorities had forgotten God. 
They had left God. They had made up their own laws off of the God's Ten Commandments. They had created a system that burdened people down. They created a system that was that was uh, had a form of godliness, but it denied the power thereof. It denied God, and it was created for them, and it laid heavy burdens upon men. Would, Jesus said to them that they that they travel land and sea to win one proselyte, one sinner, and then they make him twice the son of hell. That was Jesus' testimony against them with their religious system. And listen to me, what I say is, is because they were hopeless and they, many of them began to leave and they didn't follow the law. They didn't follow the religious system. And so... When they heard John the Baptist preaching and then John introduces them and his head's cut off and and Jesus and many of them come and started listening to Jesus because Jesus is in the house. And I fear that today as the Antichrist, the false Messiah soon appears, I fear that there's a hopelessness in the world today. That there's people that have left the church, the people that have walked away, that they're, they're sick of man's religion and man's system, and they're ripe, and they're waiting for somebody new to come, and to use lying signs and wonders to deceive them. And I pray that it's not you. I pray that you're keeping your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. And you need to know that the only one that can give life is Jesus Is he in your house today? Are you spending time with him? Are you in the word, prayer, and fellowship? Are you building that love relationship with him that's real and personal? Is there room in your house for others? So, they're gathered there. The place is packed. And what does he do? He begins to do Entertainment? No, he preaches the word to them. Notice what he does. That's what he was doing. Listen, they're there for healing. They're there for all sorts of things. Who knows the heart of men except God? But he begins to preach the word to them. Listen to me. I would assume he's preaching Old Testament word to them. I know that every word that come out of his mouth was really literally the word of God. But I would assume that he was preaching Old Testament to them because it was the Old Testament that prophesied he would come. Now, he could have been just preaching the general gospel, the kingdom is at hand, the things that we see him saying throughout the gospels. But either way, it was the word of God. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so it's the word of God that people need to hear. Even when they come thinking they need a handout. Even when they come thinking they need something healed. Even when they come wanting, what they really need is the word of God to heal their sick souls. What we really need is the word of God to, to, to move us in the direction we need to be going toward heaven. Toward godliness. Toward his kingdom and not toward our own. We need the word of God for hope. And, and, and I believe that any time he opened his mouth, they felt that love. And when we preach this word of God, they should not only see truth, but they should see the love of God. So he preached the word of God to them. Many, many just want to preach their own kingdom. 
Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now, in the King James, that's palsy. Uh, they brought a, pal a man with palsy. It means as if dissolved. It's a lame person. So the New King James changes it to paralytic. And because we don't know how paralytic he was or how palsy he was, it's a loss of muscular uh, uh, movement uh, and probably has pain in it also. So he, he brings, or excuse me, these four men carried a paralytic to Jesus. Let me, let me just talk for a minute about these men's heart. What do you think their heart was like? That they would actually pick somebody up, one on every corner. We might be thinking of a stretcher, but it's on his bed. I don't think his bed's built like a stretcher. They're carrying this man to Jesus. You know, again, we've lost our urgency in the church today. I don't see many people trying to get people to Jesus. I see people coming to church to get their self taken care of, to get a hand out, to get a hand up, to get what they can get out of it. I see them bouncing from church to church. I see so many things going on except for people coming to Jesus, for people wanting Jesus to be in the house, and for people wanting to make sure that others get to Jesus. Now, one of the main ways we can get other people to Jesus is by praying for them. We pray that they would come to Jesus. But notice the urgency of these men. These men seem to know that this person, if they could just get to Jesus, there's an urgency in their faith. There's an urgency in their heart. They want to get this man to Jesus. They must have loved him. They must have cared for him. But their urgency was to get him to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that I believe that is our urgency. Today is the day for salvation. And people need to come to know Jesus. And we need more urgency like this where people would pick somebody up and carry them across town to get them to Jesus. Now, I can say flippantly that we have carried people to Jesus as they come to, we didn't have a wheelchair ramp and we'd carry them up into the church. And it's kind of funny. But, but these people literally gave up their time, their strength. They, they had faith that this man could be healed if he could just get to Jesus. Now, we don't, we're not told. We're not privy. We don't know that this man say, hey, could you guys carry me to Jesus? I, I heard he's in the house down the street. We don't know these things. What we do know is what we're told here is that the house is full. Jesus is preaching the word of God, the living word. And they came to him bringing a man with palsy carried by four men. They just, they had to get him to Jesus. When they could not come near him, they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let him down, down. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now look at the heart again. The heart of the men to bring their friend that they love to carry them all the way to Jesus. Now again, the urgency because you know people show up and they go, "Oh, I'm late. I'm just going to go on home." People wake up and they go, "Oh, I'm just not even going to go to fellowship today." I, you know, you hear of these rock star pastors where people will drive an hour, and I'm just flippantly talking about this about the heart of men. 
They'll drive an hour, two hours to get to the church. And when they find out that pastor is not teaching, they turn around and go home. You know, what if these men would would have acted like the hearts of people in the church today and they got there and the place was packed and they just said, hey, you know what? We're gonna, we'll come next week. Today is the day for salvation. Look at the heart of these people. They didn't stop. They did a, a lot of work to get this man to Jesus. And I believe that getting the gospel out is work because it takes death to sell. It's doing the work of God. It takes surrender. It takes study. It takes letting the Holy Spirit lead you and listening and being guided by the Spirit because you're concerned about souls of men the way God was that He gave His only begotten Son to save the souls of men. And these men knew that this man needed to get to Jesus. So the place was crowded. They couldn't get near him. So what do they do? They're in this culture where they had on the roof, they they would have like clay tiles. They would have dirt. They would have some grass. They had their patios on the roof. They had outside stairways traditionally. They would go up there at night in the cool of the night. It's a place where they entertained. This is where sometimes they'd even sleep if it was really hot. They didn't have air conditioning like us. So these men go, oh, we can't get in. Let's go up. And they dig away. I mean, they dig a hole. Can you imagine? Jesus is down here teaching. And they're hearing something crawling, grabbing at the roof. Digging a hole. They've got to hear it. They're like, what's the commotion up there? And they're trying to listen. And, and somebody, you know, in, in today's, we would have stopped them. We just said, no. I remember my pastor saying that that it was in a December that he went to a church and they told him to go home and come back when he was dressed better. Now think about it. If there were some people at this church, some elders or some deacons, and they went up and they said, hey, stop digging on the roof and get that guy out of here. That's the church today. There's not an urgency to get people to Jesus There's not an urgency that today is the day for salvation. They might die today. They might die tomorrow. We need to see some more urgency and the heart of people that will give their life to carry somebody. The heart of people that they would give their life to to just know if we go up, let's come up with another way to get them into the building. You can see their spirit. You can see their faith and you can see their heart. So you see the heart of God in Jesus. It's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to the saving knowledge of Christ. You see the heart of these men as they have an urgency. They're carrying their friend. They bring them. You see the heart of these other people who come to Jesus. They've heard. They're hopeless. They're not coming to the religious authority anymore. They're not coming to the Pharisees and and those that are putting burdens upon them. That's part of the problem here is that they're burdened. They want to be an authority over them. And these people are all leaving and going to Jesus. So they get irritated and mad. And that's why they want to kill him. That's their physical reason. They uncovered the roof where he was and when they broke through see that's what we need sometimes we need to break through in prayer we need to break through out of our lives 
We need to, 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 to break through and get to people. They let him down. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, I mean, what did they have? Some ropes? I mean, we don't even have the full details. That's a pretty amazing thing, though. Did some other people reach up and get him? Is this the first crowd surfer? I don't know. It's pretty amazing that we see their heart. Do you see their heart? Is Jesus in your house? Is Jesus living in your heart? Does your heart have an urgency to get people to Jesus? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Wow. Interesting. Well, you know, in the culture, they believed that maladies and sickness, such as his palsy, they believed that sometimes it was caused by sin. Excuse me, they believe that it was caused by sin. We know that sometimes sicknesses can be because of sin. And so, the first thing Jesus gives him is forgiveness of his sins. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that what every heart needs? Peace with God? We're all born sinners. We all have guilt and shame. And then we get to Jesus and we think we're coming to Jesus because he's going to give us a handout. He's going to heal something that we think is the problem. And notice what he does. He, he forgives him of his sins. That's what we need, forgiveness of sin. That's exactly the reason Jesus came, for forgiveness of sins. My God shall supply for all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And our very first need is forgiveness of sins. Then he begins to heal other maladies. Even heal our thinking, heal our minds, heal, heal the way we do things in sanctification. Now, not everybody that's, that's sick gets a healing. But one day he'll heal us all. He'll give us new bodies. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, there is a text that if you look over at John 9, I believe it is. I wanted to get into this. I like to go here. I, I remember before I was a believer uh, that the false reincarnationists would use this text to try to prove reincarnation. See, they believe this, uh, that, that, that maladies, that, like this palsy, was from sin. And so this man probably, probably, when Jesus said, your sons are forgiven you, probably felt great about this. He didn't understand it fully yet. But what, notice this. Now, it's 9-1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, if you stop there which is what the reincarnationists would do. They would never go on for the answer. They would use that as a proof text to prove that everybody believed then in reincarnation, and so we should believe in it now. 
But but you have to read on. You can't just stop with the question and take the question and use it as a text. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Notice, that's why. It's so that God could heal him. So that Jesus would be able to come on this day and heal him. He was there. So that he would be glorified. Wasn't reincarnation, but they falsely believed things like this, like you could sin in the womb. They falsely believed in all of these things. And so this man probably, you know, you and I would look at it thinking he needs his palsy healed. He was thinking he had sinned and his sin had caused his palsy because that's what lying, or excuse me, mistaken religious teachers probably taught him. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Let me ask you, has Jesus said that to you? Listen, if Jesus is in the house and you come to Jesus, his blood has paid for the world's sins. He died and rose again. And if you come to him, he'll forgive your sins. He'll say to you clearly, your sins are forgiven. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven you. Rise and sin no more. Get up. Is your heart clean today? Have you been forgiven of sins? Have you repented before God? How is your heart today? See, that's what we're going to bring this back to is the hearts. The heart of God is here to forgive. There's men here that have a heart to get people to Jesus. There's men here who have faith. Notice he says, when Jesus saw their faith. Now, I don't believe it's just the four men. Some people believe that, but obviously this man's sins couldn't be forgiven unless he had faith to believe. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. God doesn't save other people because of my faith unless it's just because I bring them to Jesus and then they repent. This man had to have faith to believe that Jesus was the Messiah in order for his sins to be forgiven. This wasn't some anomaly When you ask, when you believe by faith, God forgives you. So when he saw their faith, I believe he saw all five of them's faith. He saw their hearts that they believed he was the Messiah of God. He saw their hearts. They believed that he could heal. He saw their hearts. He believed, or excuse me, he knew that they believed he was the Messiah of God. And he said, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Amen. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And God just forgave. Jesus is God. Now listen. Listen. What are their hearts? Their hearts are critical. Their hearts are against. Now, there's, there's important things going on here. Now, if they were truly following God, they know that they were given a mandate to protect people from false prophets and from other religions. But they're not following God. Or they would have been there listening, and they would have heard, and they would have seen the things that Jesus was doing. They were there as spies, you might say. They were there to run interference, you might say. You know, they were also there, these 
scribes with a critical heart that weren't there to receive Jesus, and they were in the way. There's lots of things that's in the way of people coming to church. Notice this critical heart. That's what the scribes were. They were critical. They were legalistic. If they weren't in the room, maybe there'd have been room for these other five to come in. But no matter, they were serious about seeing Jesus. They weren't at home sorting their socks. They didn't make every excuse possible to keep from coming to, to Jesus. They made sure they got there. It was on their schedule. They heard he was back in town. They was He was in the house, and they got to him. And there was nothing going to stop them from getting there. But now there's some critical hearts here. So you've got the heart of God. You've got people that are coming. They want to know what's going on. You've got four men that have a heart of faith. Four men that have a heart for God. They want to get them people. They want to get uh, their, their friend there. You've got now hearts that are critical. Critical hearts. That are now going to begin to reason. Notice where it says. It says they reason in their heart. They're reasoning in their heart. It means to reckon thoroughly. To deliberate they're judging. They're deliberating in their heart about this statement he made where he said, your sins are forgiven you. And they're considering what's going on. And what did they consider? They said it's blasphemies in their hearts. They're thinking this man speaks blasphemies. In other words, it's they're vilifying God, evil speaking of God. It's blasphemy to say that he can forgive sin. And they truthfully said, see, they knew about God. They just didn't have a relationship with God. They knew that none could forgive sins but God alone. Yet they had been holding it over the people. They had been acting as if they were the one that judged hearts. And they were the ones that were the gods. And they were the ones that were forgiving the sin. Instead of being a mediator between God and men, they were being the judge. Their heart was being a judge. And they're doing it right now to Jesus. How do you judge Jesus? Do you judge that he's God? Do you judge that he can forgive sins? Have you come to him? Is he in your house? If he is, there'll be some urgency, not only for you to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, but for you to help others to get to Jesus. You will realize the forgiveness that's been given. Your heart will be set free. You'll have peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You'll have peace with God. That's what Jesus just gave this man. It's what he came to give the world. And the world rejects that peace. The world rejects that freedom. The world rejects this payment. So they are critical. Verse 8, immediately, the word again, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Listen, it's really interesting that, that they weren't bold enough to speak up but they would reason in their heart. So Jesus 
decided that he would speak to their heart, just like the Word of God does. It speaks to our hearts. It, it, we can come to God. He says, come to me and reason with me. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. You might think this is the way to live. You might think that you should be critical and judge thus and thus. You might think that you can do this, but God wants to talk with you. Have a conversation. Go to prayer. Seek counsel. See what his word would say. See what his spirit might say. Now the word here uh, in verse 8, Jesus perceived, is the word epigonoskos. I don't know if you remember that word, but it's a word we use. Gnoskos means to know, but epi is, is, a, 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 um, is a, a bond. And so the word means upon or to, to know upon some mark, to recognize or to acknowledge. If you remember, Jesus says you can epigonosco a tree by its fruit. You can epigonosco a tree by its fruit. So by the heart of man, by its fruit, by the, by the heart of men, you can tell it's, you can tell, um, excuse me, by the fruit of man, you can tell what kind of a tree it is. Epigonoskos. Epigonosko. To know upon some mark. So their hearts are very critical. And it's not that Jesus ignores them. He loves them. He died. He's going to die for them. He came for them to be saved too. But he knows they're in an apostate system. He knows that they're piling burdens upon men that they can't carry. He knows that they've walked away from him and they've forgotten him. He knows that they're living under their own system and not in a relationship with him according to the way he laid it out in the uh, Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the covenant for, for the uh, nation of Israel. And he's going to bring a new covenant. That's what he came for. He didn't come to repair the old one. We're going to get to that here in a minute. Well, no, we'll get to it next week. He didn't come to put new wine into an old wineskin. But he came to bring a new covenant. A covenant in his blood. So he recognizes what they're reasoning within themselves. See, he knows, and this is here something that's really interesting. God knows our thoughts. God knows our hearts. God knows what's going on. He knows whether we're the ones with the urgency. He knows the heart of faith. He knows the heart of unrepentance. He knows the heart of a sinner. He knows the heart of a righteous one. He knows all hearts. He knows our thoughts. That's why Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows that all of our thoughts and intents are evil continually, we're told in Genesis 6. But with his new spirit that he come to give us, he come to give us a new covenant in his blood, to put his spirit in our hearts. To give us a hope and a future. To make us new creations. And I'm way ahead of myself. It's next week's lesson. And since, since they decided to remain silent. He decided to approach them. And question them. 
You know, and they never mentioned, wow, he knew what we were thinking. You would think they would say, oh, he just forgave sins. He knew exactly what we were reasoning in our hearts. And he spoke to us about our hearts. Isn't that amazing? That's what God wants to do in our love relationship as we come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He wants us to lay our heart out. He wants us to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship daily and lay our heart out and let him do heart surgery. He's going to address it here in a minute. He says he come for those who are sick. Not for those who think that they're okay. So here they are reasoning in their heart and he speaks about their reasoning. He knows what they're thinking. And he speaks to them concerning their hearts. Is Jesus in the house? Does he speak to you concerning the thoughts and intents of your heart? Are you guarding your heart? Are you keeping your heart with all diligence for out of it flow all the issues of life? Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart. Listen to what it means. It means to guard it, to protect it, to maintain it. It actually means to obey in your heart. To be a watchman in your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Everything that comes out of our heart. Let's look at um, Luke. Where am I going in Luke? Luke chapter 6. Is that correct? I don't remember. Luke 6.43. I believe this chapter is about the heart of man. I believe it's about our heart. There's those coming to Jesus... And he is the heart of God. There's those sitting there that have come, but they're just being critical of Jesus. They're, they're trying to get in the way of others getting to Jesus. You could say they have the spirit of Antichrist. And then you have these coming with faith. Confident trust that God is going to heal this paralytic, this man with palsy. So confident that they don't turn around. They dig a hole in the roof and let him down into the presence of Almighty God. Oh, what a church service that was. That day. Now in Luke 6, 43, Sermon on the Level for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance, the overflow, what's stored up in the heart, his mouth speaks. Notice he's comparing the tree and the fruit to the heart. What kind of heart do we have today? Is it a forgiving heart? An unforgiving heart? A hard heart? A hating heart? Uh, oh, a murderous heart? 
Is it a loving heart that has got Jesus in the house and is being filled with joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Is it a critical heart? A heart of Antichrist, maybe, that's interfering with other people. See, God knows the heart. Man judges the outer appearance, but God judges the heart. God is looking at our souls. God is wanting the heart. He knows what kind of tree. He knows what kind of fruit. And we can play the hypocrite, but God knows the fruit of our hearts. He knows what's going on in the inner depths. And he wants to get to it. He wants to bring forgiveness and put his balm upon it. He wants to set us free. And even when we would remain silent and just reason in our heart, he would speak his word to us and give us a chance to repent. What comes out of your heart when you hit the wrong nail with the hammer? Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What kind of fruit are you growing? Is there an urgency in your life to get people to Jesus? Is there an urgency to become more like Jesus? Which is why we would encourage you to be in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship. Is there an urgency because of the Spirit of God using your life, changing your life? He goes on, but why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things which I say. No, no obedience. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings, it's his word, it's his mouth, it's his heart, and does them, I will show you whom he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. He dug deep in the roof and he let some people down in front of Jesus. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So here it's a house. There it's a tree. It's a fruit. It's a foundation here for the house. Is Jesus in the house? Do you have a heart that wants to draw near to God and to get other people to draw near to God? Do you have a heart that of faith where you would pray for others? You would carry someone to church if God asked you to. You want to get them there because you know today is the day for salvation. What kind of heart do you have today? Are you guarding your heart? Are you keeping it with all diligence? For out of it flow all the issues of life. And I believe the heart here means not the cardia, not the physical heart. It's the middle of us. It's our soul. It's the part that's going to be with God forever or separated from God forever. One or the other. Jesus knows their hearts. He recognizes their hearts. And we see, this is another way that God can, you know, with, if you remember with Pharaoh when we had been there in the past, uh, with the 10 plagues and the Passover. And when you go back and read that, you see that Pharaoh hardened his heart. 
Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. And the word really means to confirm. And see, since God knows all hearts, He knows when our hearts are hard and we're never going to change. We're never going to accept Him. And He confirms those hearts. Then it says, after three times, I think it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God began to confirm Pharaoh's heart so He could use him as a vessel of dishonor. Listen, today is the day. There's an urgency to begin to surrender to God, to have Jesus in the house, to come to him for the right reason, to say, Lord, I have a critical heart. Please change it. Lord, I have an unrepentant heart. Please change it. He's the only one that can do heart surgery. But if you think you're okay and you don't humble yourself before him, then he can't do heart surgery on you. So he says to him, which is easier? Your sins are forgiven or arise, take up your bed and walk. Now, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Now, to forgive them, Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. That's not an easy deal. You know, we talk about it being free. It wasn't free for God. He gave his son. So it is easier to say I'm a Christian. It is easier to say things than it is to do things. See, but Jesus wasn't just spouting words. Jesus wasn't just saying it. Jesus knew that he could speak the word and this man would get up and walk away. Jesus was obeying the Father. Jesus didn't just come and play lip service to the Father, but he was obeying the Father. He was the heart of the Father. He was the heart of God. Excuse me. So obviously it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, because it's spiritual. It's a spiritual heart. Nobody can see it happening. Now you can see it after a while because epigenosco, you begin to recognize it. In a heart that's been forgiven, there will be a change because the Spirit comes in and begins to do total house renovation. You become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And it begins to show. There begins to be evidence. There begins to be new fruit on that tree. That mouth begins to speak differently. Not perfect, but being perfected. But to have that immediately happen, as we're going to see... Because Jesus doesn't just ask them the question, doesn't just reason with them, doesn't just instruct them, doesn't just confront them about their thoughts of their heart and the intents of their heart. But he proves to them that he's God with them. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, 
Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Listen, that's what God would say to all of us. Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Look at the power. Now, I don't. I, I want you to see that there's a lot here. He's, he's showing them that He is God. He's showing them He has power to forgive sins because the Father gave Him that power and sent Him. But notice what else he does. He takes a title here. A title that I think is used 13 times in the book of Mark. It's used 80 times that Jesus uses it in all four Gospels. The Son of Man. It's messianic. The Son of Man. But it's a it, when he says Son of Man, you know what that is? That's a humbling term. He's the Son of God. That would even be higher. He is God himself. That's on the throne. But son of man means that he humbled himself. He came a little lower than the angels so that he could come down and die for you and me and pour out his blood, a perfect sacrifice, so that we could be forgiven and be brought back into right relationship with the Father so that we could have a heart like God, a pure heart, a righteous heart, a heart that's willing to lay its life down and serve just like Jesus. So this is a humbling term when he says the son of man. He became man so that he could become our kinsman redeemer. So we see the heart of Jesus even. He didn't say this. He didn't say this haughty. He didn't say this like I'm in charge here. He said it humbly so that they might know. He genuinely wanted them to know he was the Messiah. Even though they sat there critical of him critical of what was going on he humbly come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross for you and i this is his heart this is the heart of god he did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many and he wanted these critical scribes that were apostate, that were following some religious system that had forgotten him and were piling burdens upon people instead of concerned about their souls. He wanted them to repent and turn to him. He wanted them to know that he was God with them. That's his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And in their presence, as they looked on, criticizing hearts hard, calling him a blasphemer. How far could they be away from God that they would see the works of God and call him a blasphemer? How far could they be away that they would later say that it's the work of Beelzebub, the devil? They denied the work of the Spirit. They denied the work of God. And yet he still wanted them to know that he could forgive their sins if they would repent, if they would turn. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, it's personal. Listen to me, it's not just the four men's faith who put their shields of faith together and they carried this man in there. It's this man's faith also is why his sins were forgiven. He believed Jesus was the Messiah. And because his faith, he also was healed. But it was because Jesus wanted others 
to come to salvation, to see the evidence that he was the Messiah, to see the evidence he was the Son of God, to see their own hearts in the presence of this great miracle. Because listen, the greatest miracle that can be done is forgiveness of sin. See, a body is a physical body that can have a malady, and that being healed is still physical. But the sickness of sin in the soul is the greatest miracle that could ever be done. And God came and did it in His Son, Jesus. He sent His heart down here to be with us in the person of His Son. He's the one that's the great physician. He's the heart surgeon. He's the one that can forgive sin. Is he in the house? Is your heart changing? Is it different because you believe by faith that he is the Messiah of God? Are you having an urgency to get people to Jesus because the day is the day for salvation? The, 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 the night is dark and the new day is coming soon. It's now time to do the work of the ministry. And we really just are called to preach the word of God. We're not called to do anything else. We're not the authority. It's his name. Listen, we're nobodies. Suffering servants that are telling people about Jesus. It's not our power. It's not our word. We've been given a privilege. We have an inheritance. We're part of that kingdom. But it's all about him. It's not about us. I know the world thinks it's about them. I know that we think our everything is about us. We, we, we teach that in our schools. We teach people that it's about them and they need to get this and they need to do their career. And what are you going to be when you... Everything is about you. It's really all about Jesus. It's his story. It's really all about our fellowship with him. Listen, and his forgiveness and him giving us peace... None of it changes him a bit. You can't do anything to change God. You can't hurt him. You can't help him. But he's given us a privilege to have a love relationship with him. In fact, he humbled himself and died on a cross so that we could have that relationship. Because he loves us so much. And he knows our souls are sick because of the devil lying to us. And he can set us free and give you peace. That surpasses all understanding. You can rest in him. You can have rest for your soul. But your heart can't stay the same. And go with God. When you meet him and his spirit comes in. He does home makeover. He tears out the old. And he brings in the new. But you have to cooperate. He can graft you in. To his vine. And let you bear fruit that is good. And not bad. He told him. I say to you arise. Christ says to us. Arise from sleep. Awake. And he will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools but as wise. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Take up your bed. Where are you sleeping at? 
Where are you sleeping at? Wake up. Get your bed. Go to your house. Immediately. There it is again. Immediately. Now notice again, because we're talking about hearts. You couldn't see the forgiveness in the paralytic. Even though Jesus just forgave us in and we know, we know that Jesus said it, it was done. We know that there was faith in his heart because Jesus wouldn't have said it unless there was faith in his heart. Right? But now because of his obedience, immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out of the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Listen, we now see his heart. We now see the heart, not just that he was forgiven, but that it was true and his heart shows the evidence because he obeyed God. Out of the abundance of his heart, he obeyed God. He did it immediately. Right now is the day for salvation. He took up his bed and he went out of the presence of them all. And then people were amazed. And it says they glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Do you think the scribes glorified God? Do you think their hearts changed? Because that's what God wanted them to know, that he had authority to forgive sins. And they said, well, no one can forgive sins, but God. Well, since, since he's showing them he had the authority, he wanted them to know he was God. He was declaring to be God. And he wanted them to know that. Sadly, they probably went away critical, reported to their leaders. I pray that they come to salvation. We don't know. Doesn't tell us. But the crowd glorifies God. What an amazing thing that men would tear off a roof to get somebody to Jesus. But I believe it was all five men's faith. I believe the text proves it out. But now we see their hearts. Now let's look at another heart. Let's look at another heart. How is your heart? Is Jesus in the house? Are you letting him have access to your house? Are you letting his word come in? Prayer and fellowship? Are you letting his spirit clean up? Or are you hiding him in one room? Compartmentalizing him. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Look at 13. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. Look at this again. People are just coming to Jesus. They, have, they need hope. They need help. They need forgiveness. They know they need a Savior. But... Sadly, again, we take God and we turn it into a religion. We turn it into an institution. The multitude came to him and he taught them. That's what he was doing. He was teaching them. He taught them again. That's what we are called to do. You and I are called to first 
Come to Jesus. Is Jesus in the house? Let him change our heart. Begin to study to show ourselves approved. Workmen uh, who need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Allowing the spirit to use us. And then we teach others. By our actions. By our obedience. By our faith. By our prayer. By getting them to Jesus sometimes. All we need to do is get them to his presence. We should be that light in their presence. Listen, when we go to people... They should know. They should be amazed. They should be glorifying God because of the miracle that's been done in our hearts. Yet I fear that uh, we've been bewitched by the devil. Fourteen, And he passed by, he saw Levi. You know Levi, Matthew, wrote the Gospel of Matthew. This is Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. He was a tax collector, one of the most hated. In fact, they looked at him worse than a sinner. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. I am very surprised the word immediately is not in there. But you see that he passed by, he looks at Levi, and he says, follow me. Do you see his heart? He didn't like being a tax collector. He knew he was an outcast. And he had heard about Jesus, I'm sure. And as soon as Jesus said, follow me, he didn't play no games with Jesus. He followed him. It means to be in the way with me. It means to be in the way with me. That's what it is. Follow me. To be in the same way with, to accompany as a disciple. That's pretty amazing. Mm. We see his heart because he got up and obeyed. Are you following Jesus? Are you in the way with Jesus? Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Notice that disciples, all of these, we see hearts changing. We see Levi's heart changing. Luke tells us that he really had this dinner in Jesus' honor. Listen to what Luke is doing. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's doing the same, or excuse me, Levi. Look what Levi's doing. The same thing the four men with faith did when they brought their buddy. He's trying to bring all of his friends to Jesus. His heart, follow me. He gets up. He shows his heart. He obeys. What does he do? He says, hey, I know. I'll invite all my tax collector friends and you can talk to them, Jesus. And he's trying to get their hearts to change. He's the urgency trying to get people to come to Jesus. So we see his heart, he followed, his heart, it changed. Now he's having a, a party at his house for Jesus, and he invited tax collectors and sinners so that Jesus could speak with them. 
But what happened? We also have the other hearts here. And when the scribes and Pharisees, look at their hearts, saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats with and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Once again, we see the critical heart. We see the legalistic heart. We see the apostate heart. We see the hearts of these Pharisees. These are pharisaical hearts. Now be careful as I'm talking about hearts because we can have some of all of these traits in our lives as God perfects us. And that's what the word does is it shows the thoughts and intents of our heart as we judge wrongly or as we look wrongly or as we speak critically or as we pharisaically try to act like we're better than somebody else because we don't do that. Who are you, old man, to accuse when you do the same thing that you judge? Listen, but notice all the hearts that are present. Where's your heart today? Are you guarding it? Are you keeping it with all diligence? Because out of it flows the issues of life. Is Jesus in the house? Are you learning to follow and be in the way with him? Levi did. Instantly got up and was in the way with him. Instantly he sees the urgency and he invites people to come and have dinner with Jesus to taste and see that he is good. And many of them come, but there's always going to be the critical naysayers. There's always going to be somebody that says, why are they doing that? And why are they doing that? Instead of enjoying the presence of Jesus, instead of coming to Jesus and letting him change their lives. So in their pride, they ask, when Jesus heard it, he heard it. He knew they said it. He found out about it. Listen, he knows everything you say, you gossip and talk about, everything you say about it. He knows it. He knows our hearts. He hears everything. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen. The Bible already declares there's none righteous, no, not one. We have all turned away from God. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Like sheep, we have all turned away. Listen, Jesus says he comes to those who understand they're sick, understand their soul is sick and they're sinners. Now, this religious system that we're talking about here with the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they literally had nothing to do with tax collectors and people they called sinners, those that would not come and, and come underneath their authority and do what they were saying and begin to try to serve God according to their rules. They, they would have nothing to do with them. They thought it would make them unclean to sit down and eat with them. But notice what Jesus is doing. He eats with them. He sits with them. He's drinking with them. Jesus is intimate with them. He's speaking with them. He's healing them. He's giving them forgiveness of sins. Do you need a doctor today? Or do you think you're okay? See, listen, this is a big thing in the apostate church today. The apostate church think that they're okay, but there's a bunch of sinners out there, and we're not going to them. There's no urgency anymore in our hearts to get people to Jesus because we think we're okay and we're fine and that's good. But that's not why he called us. He called us and he gave us command. He gave us commission. 
He said, all authority has been given to me on he- in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go to sinners. Go to tax collectors. Go to those who need hope and baptize them. Make them disciples. Ask them to come follow and be in the way with me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And do what? Do the same thing Jesus did. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There has to be a change of heart. That's what repentance means. He came for sinners. Those who know they're a sinner. And he came to call them to repentance. Metanoia. Reformation, reversal, turn the other way. It comes from a word that means to think differently and to reconsider. Where's your heart at today, Christian? Where's your heart at today? No matter who you are. Where's your heart? Is Jesus in the house? If Jesus is in the house, listen to me. There's going to be an urgency to get other people in the house, get to Jesus. Because when you know the forgiveness and the peace that God brings into your vessel, when the Holy Spirit comes in, there's going to be an urgency to use the gifts and talents and abilities and everything that is within you to get the word out to others. Who's living in your house? Is Jesus in your house? What kind of tree are you? Do you want to bear good fruit? Get in the word, prayer, and fellowship and surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit today. Today is the day for salvation. And next week we'll look at the heart that's married to Christ, how they act. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you'd help us to guard our hearts. Pray that you do heart surgery on us. We don't need just a physician. We need a heart surgeon. Thank you for giving us new hearts, for writing your word upon the tablet of our heart instead of on stone. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Give us an urgency in our spirit with control, self-control that your spirit gives us to go and get others to your son Jesus so that their hearts can be set free, fully forgiven, for such a time as this. Wake us up, Lord. Today is the day for salvation. Today is the day for deliverance from the sin nature. Today is the day to receive a new heart. All you have to do is call out to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. 
Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I